you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And again, we'll look at verses 3 through 6. Our subject is the believer's security. The believer's security. Now, I need to know that I am secure. I need to know that the way I'm given to live has at the end of this journey the surety of my salvation. I mean, that it's going to be fulfilled and brought to pass and all of that. I need to know that. I don't want to walk hoping and trying real hard to earn heaven, maybe doing a lot of works and trying to do this. I don't want to live like that because if I fail one time, I might not make it. I want to know that I am connected to an eternal source that will never fade away. Now, here's what he says, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten or regenerated us again unto a lively living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what it means. This is what it tells us. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. There is a secure safety system, a SSS, for all believers. Not for church members, not for well-meaning, well-wishers, but for believers. However God defines believer, that's who this is for. Everybody would like to call themselves one, and most everybody that attends church would say they are. Because with their mind, they mentally assent to the fact that there is a God and there was this and I believe all of that. They don't really believe it like they'll live like it's true, but they believe it because that's all they've ever known. For those who believe, he said, this is what you have. You have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that will never fade away. You'll never lose it. That is reserved in heaven for you particularly you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I don't know that it can get any better than that. I don't know that God could put words together better than that to give you what you need to know about your salvation. Security. Security. Somebody said, well, isn't that a Baptist sermon, the security of the believer? I don't think it belongs to Baptists anymore than it belongs to Christians. They probably spoke about it more, but you see, my great-great-great-grandfather was a Baptist minister. I'm so glad to know that. Praise God. I want to know, again, I want you to know, I want all of us to know, in the midst of all of our difficulties and struggles walking through this life and the failures and the weaknesses and the flaws and the bad days and the man, that type of God, there is a message that says you are secure. That God assigned himself to keep you. He that started a good work is going to finish it. You know that. And he said that. And he said in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, he said, No man shall pluck you out of my hand. And the next verse, he said, No man shall pluck you out of the Father's hand. He who called you is also the one who will keep you, secure you, and he will see to it that means are provided to guide you, to change you, 
to refine you and prepare you for heaven so that when you get there, you're not shocked. I think you'll be blessed, totally blessed. I've never been there either, but I think it's going to be wonderful. Now, in the process of securing you, God who keeps you, there are three things the Bible brings forth that God uses to keep you, which not only challenge you to be kept, but these three things work in concert with each other. These three words are three things, three ingredients. Each of us have the responsibility, if we're believers, to make application of these three things. They work together. You can't do without them. They're, in other words, they're essential. One is the Word of God. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. The Word of God. I'd call it the pure Word. The Word with nothing added to it. The Word without man's additions and footnotes. There are no annotations to what God said. It's the Word is the Word. And it's a challenge, and it's always controversial. The Word is so controversial that today we have on, you know, as they say, on every corner of the city there's a church. They're all different. They all use the same Bible. They all talk about the same Jesus. They all talk about heaven. And yet they're so different because of how they read and desire to understand what the Bible says. Many of them are man-made, and they'll never change. That's why you get Lutheran and Wesleyan and whatever other names you get, that people that are named after men. They are the fabrications or the coming together of what a man thought God wanted from his people, and people were so taken by that man's words that they named the church after him. I remember years ago, somebody told a Baptist brother, he said, you know, the Baptist named the church, obviously after John the Baptist, you know, uh, he got his head cut off and y'all been without a head ever since. <laughs> and I forget what the answer was, but it was pretty clever too. But, but anyway, we're not here to honor a man, the legacy of any man except one. His name is Jesus. And he didn't labor over what we call our assembly because in every city there should be an assembly, an ecclesia. The word of church is okay, it's a building, but assembly is what we are of like-minded believers been brought together by the Holy Spirit to worship and to pray and to learn, to grow, to share. This is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. But the thing that we have to go by, the only guide we have is the Bible. You take our Bible away from us, we have nothing. Nothing that declares what's right, nothing that declares what's wrong. We're left to our own, the figments of our own imaginations. And every man, like in the book of Judges, just said every man did that which was right in his own sight. You're living in a day like that, that nobody likes for anybody to tell them what they must believe. Do you all know that God tells you what you must believe? That you don't have an option or a choice? I mean, this is the way walk in. If you don't want to believe this, then you have no part of God. Isn't that something? He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. That sounds hard to a lot of people, but it's truth. shouldn't be hard for us. If we say we know him, if we say we have connected ourselves by the new birth with Christ, that we've been made new creatures in Christ, that Christ lives in us, 
then obviously we want to walk this way. We learn about him. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's no other place to learn but the scriptures. And if any man speak not according to this word, Isaiah 8, 20, says he has no light. And if the light in you is darkness, Jesus said, how great is the darkness? People like darkness, though. Jesus said that in the first chapter of John, men love darkness better than light. Even when Moses came off the mountain, they said, Moses, you talk to us, not him. Because they would rather hear what we have to say than what God has to say. Because man by nature will water it down to make himself more presentable and likable to the people. But God says, speak the word. Told Paul, told Timothy, speak the word only. In season or out of season. The only thing God will ever use to make us free is the word. And if it's minced, if it's laced with man's words and man's tales, it won't make us free. It takes courage for you to not only believe the word and live the word, but it takes courage for you to testify to it because it labels you as some kind of freak of nature or some kind of religious right-wing Republican or something. You're labeled because you believe the Bible. In the call-in shows or in a public conversation, when you bring up the Bible, well, you know, the Scripture says that just ruins the conversation. Everybody's uncomfortable with it. Even church people, people that go to the church, have been in church their whole life. I remember talking to my brother once, trying to talk to him years ago. You know, brother, the Bible says, he said, you know, I'm glad you believe like that, and I'm, and I'm glad that's the way you see it and all that. But he said, you know, I don't, I don't know if I see it like that or not. Now, if I'd have said, well, how do you see it? I don't know that he would know. Then when you get embarrassed because you don't know, then you get mad, and then we get into it. And, you know, brothers don't mind doing that, but... That's just the way it is with a lot of people. So we start with the word. God gives us this controversial word, and the challenge is take it at its face value. Believe what it says. Quit compromising it. Quit fooling around with it and changing it. Don't lean to the left and the right. Just believe what it says. Second thing we started with last week. We go back to John 14. Second thing that God gives to bring security to your salvation, and you have to deal with this. And this one is really controversial, is the Holy Spirit. There are more ideas and fabrications of what the Holy Spirit says and what the Holy Spirit does and how you receive and when you receive and than you can imagine. The bookstores are full of books about the Holy Spirit. I'm sure some of them are right, or maybe they all have right words in them. But there seems to be a slant. I'll tell you this about the Holy Spirit. Since the days of my salvation years ago, long ago, even to this very day, it's a subject that people don't want to discuss from two different groups because they get into it with each other. Well, I don't believe it like that. I think you all, and they wonder, wait a minute. All we have to do is go to the Bible. Now, what does the Bible say? I remember doing that once in, in somewhere. Somebody said, I don't care what the Bible says. We're not going to do that. I remember the biggest church in this state. Minister said one Sunday, said, you know, you may believe in speaking in tongues and you may do that, but you're not going to do that here. We don't want that. And I'm thinking, you know, I think the word tongues sounds like a village idiot running through the streets naked. And it's just a, such an awful, slobbery mouth thing that, uh, oh, my goodness, don't ever let it happen to me. The first time I ever heard somebody did that, I had no clue what they were talking about. 
I didn't know. I started asking questions. I asked my mother, what does that mean? Where have you been? I asked my pastor when he got back from his two-week vacation. And I said, Brother John, what does that mean? And he said the same thing. He said, where have you been? And I said, I want to know what it means. I'm not scared of it. I want to know what this is about. I have no loyalty to a, a denominational system of any. I have no loyalty to nothing like that. I want to know what this in the Bible is talking about when it says this. I want to know what that means, whatever the cost. It was pretty costly. But in John 14, Jesus said, let me get this about what Jesus gave us before he went to the garden. Concerning the Holy Spirit, John 14, we were there last week. We'll just brief this. Verse 16, I will pray to the Father. He will give you another comforter. Another comforter. That's an interesting study. That he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Now, they think they can, and they think they have. A lot of them. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him because he dwells with you. And he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. Notice he said, I will come to you. Now, to me, that's an interesting study. What that, I? How are you going to send it, but then it's I coming? Well, anyway, chapter 15, the very last two verses. But when the comforter is come, verse 26, whom I will send, now he's going to send it, unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you shall also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said to these disciples, who like so many today, you learn quite a bit without this Holy Spirit thing. But Jesus said to his disciples, said, you know, I have more to say to you than what I've said. I've said quite a bit to you, but i got more to say. But it would do me no good to say it now because what I'm going to tell you, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to show you what it is. Now, he said in verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, this is what he will do. He will guide you into all truth. He will not leave you sitting in a pew the rest of your life wondering what the Bible means. Now, whatever activity the Holy Spirit does, he won't leave you like that. You're going to get stirred because his primary purpose here is to enlighten us, to take the words of this scripture that Jesus said, I have more to tell you, but you can't receive it. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, what does he say? He will guide you where? He will guide you into all the truth. Whatever he hears, that's what he'll speak. Is it possible for us to have or to eventually know, well, you'd have to have it too, all the truth? Well, there sure is a lack of it today in the world. There is a big lack of it. But the Bible tells us just what Jesus said. He said, how be it when he comes, he will guide you. And let's face it, folks, there's obviously a lot of really wonderful, good people that are being guided into the truth. They're satisfied with what they got yesteryear and they haven't gone any further yet. But that's not going to work with the Holy Spirit. Just like he that started a good work and he's going to finish it, he's going to finish it like this. He's not going to leave you alone. 
Boy, you boys are going to get stirred up the rest of your lives. You're going to do something you shouldn't have done? Ow! Because whom he loves, he chases. He's not going to leave you alone. You're not going to wander aimlessly through this world when you have received the Spirit. It won't happen like that. You're destined for heaven. God has a place he's bringing you to. And when you get there, he will be able to say to you, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Because it is God who works in you to bring you to that place. He not only said, I will send the Holy Spirit. He said, I will come to you. There's going to be divinity lodged in your heart. The Godhead dwells bodily in Christ. Christ dwells in your heart by faith. You have inside of you, as Peter wrote, this divine nature that you can partake of in order to escape all the corruption that's in the world. Second Peter 1. What a wonderful thought that God would love us so much that he would never leave us alone. And yet I grew up in a church. A lot of nice refining. I mean, they were. They were as good as any, any of us. But they just never had any deep, sincere interest in God. They never had that, as a deer panteth after the water brooks. So my soul longeth after thee. They never had that. Church was just the socially right thing that people like them would do. And I went, and that's what I did. There was never that drawing forth and putting in you this desire to search for more and to search and find out what something meant. And then when you find out what it meant, it was like a light came on, and you begin to let your light shine, and people didn't like it. Because they love darkness better than light. But it's a part of the plan. It's a part of the plan of how God secures you. He not only makes you different, but he will see to it that you pay a price to do that. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Apostle Paul, when he fell off of that horse going to Damascus, I don't like horses either, but when he fell off of that horse and he was blinded and God told Ananias to go to Paul and pray for him to receive his sight and so forth. He said, he's a bad man, Lord. And he said, he's a chosen vessel. The people that God chooses, he's a chosen vessel and I will show him what great things he will suffer for my name's sake. It's going to cost him eventually his life. But there's people like that that I can use because I'm going to do a work in them that they'll never give up. They'll never quit because I'll send my spirit and they're going to get a grip on them and they will no man not ever pluck them out of my hand. They will never get away from me. Now, folks, if a church was full of people like that, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, longing for a deeper understanding, a, a deeper walk, enjoying prayer, Enjoying just being alone and sitting in a, in a chair, riding around or wherever you would have a time of solace and quiet and enjoy that kind of time. It's a good evidence that the Holy Spirit in you is working in you. He bought you with a price. You're his. You're his purchased possession. Remember this verse in Ephesians 1 verse 17. 
about the work of the Holy Spirit, especially as it retains your salvation. He said, God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, we quote this every week. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him, the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, the eyes of our understanding, the King James says, it can also be your heart. The eyes of your heart, the, the man on the inside has eyes to see. He's not blind. I can see, I have eyes to see, but if I don't see on the inside, I, I'm blind. If I don't perceive and understand, if I don't get the picture, if I can't comprehend what God said, then I, I'm blind. I'm given over to an academic understanding of the Bible, and that's as far as I can go. But when the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, he said, the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know. So that the light comes on. Your eyes are open and you find yourself going, I see it. And then the smile comes because there's a new elevated walk you're in now. You're going from glory to glory. You're just hitting one of those new plateaus. And your walk is enhanced and God is bigger than he was. And everything just begins to shine. And, man, you're glad. He has, uh, don't we sing a song, he has made made me glad? Do we sing that? I know you folks out in TV land do, but he has made me glad. He has made me glad. This is what he does. Listen to me, folks. God's people who have received the Spirit as he spoke about it there are not... Can I use the word lethargic, just dull, indifferent, lazy, satisfied with what you got people? They're not like that. They may be in the midst of people like that or a few like that, but they're not like that. There is some kind of an excitement, that joy that comes with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the babble. That, I'm not talking about the life that issues forth. Drawing near and close to God. And beginning to recognize promptings from the Lord so that you know to move this way, move that way, or to put a hand to your mouth and be quiet. Man, I'm working on negativity. I slap my face all the time. I got on myself again this week after telling you about it last week about cars and people that can't drive. Man, I, one of them said at the light and almost let it turn red again, and I, I was... I was floating in the air, buddy. But they finally got out of there, and I told myself, you are pitiful. Talking to me, your pastor, I said, you are pitiful. Of course, you knew that, but I mean, you are pitiful. Isn't it good, though, to deal with yourself? But you wouldn't do that if you weren't prompted by the Spirit, listening to the Word, having that in your hard drive. I mean, you wouldn't even think about it. You just, you know, you just really, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what I mean. I don't know, I go to Sunday school class and go to church and then, you know, what a difficult dead life that would have to be. I was growing up like that and that's what I was destined to. It's all my daddy ever knew. Came to the end of his life and every hour he had spent in church had little or no value or importance or power at the end of his life. There was nothing he had ever gotten that could assist him, help him, at the end of his life. What a waste of Sunday mornings. Something has got to happen to us. 
We cannot, by programs, make it happen. We have to lean on the Lord, look to things His way, let Him have His way, and then let the work that He does transform and change us into what He wants and not what we want so that we pursue the things of God. I know that sounds like just a cliche, but it's true. Until what I'm after this morning is not just fellowship. That's good. I'm not here just to praise the Lord. That's good too. I'm not here just to do my thing because it's more than that. I'm here to learn. I'm giving God an opportunity just like you are right now, right this very minute. I'm availing myself to the opportunity that God can speak to me. We've shut down our whole life right now, all of our activities, cooking, raising kids, activities at home, roles we play. Everything right now is shut down. All of our being and whatever we are is concentrated right now on what you're hearing. I hope it is. This is a time in which without any interference from the outside, God can talk to us. And this is a time he often does. Or he'll sow a seed in here and you get out there, it'll start growing. You get to be challenged, you young folks. You get challenged by how you dress, what you do and your activities, how you talk, how you study, how you're quit or how you're lazy or how you're not really trying. I mean, everything gets challenged if God has put his spirit in you. Because that's not the way he wants us to be. Amen. But this activity of the Spirit, he said, when he comes, like this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, listen to this. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. You see, I can't do that. I can try to imagine that, but I cannot do that. Only God can do that, and he does it one specific way, by his Spirit. And what the Spirit stirs us up about is what we hear. The Word. He works in concert with the Word. A person without the Word, we call it wildfire. When they don't have the word and people don't concentrate on the word but just on emotions and feeling, wow, and they go through that and running and hollering and yelling and carrying on. But without much Bible, it's wildfire. And when you have a lot of Bible in, there's no emotion here. You put that hand down. Take a smile off your face. Then you got what we call a dead letter. Oh, we scholarly, intellectually advanced. But we got no life. But when the Spirit of God comes in, he puts it all in balance. He points you to the Word of God. Well, what am I going to do? And he'll say, what does the Word say? Well, how should I handle this? What does the Word say? Well, I don't know. Like that lady that came to a preacher friend of mine once, and she was all ready for a counseling session. It was a difficult time. I think it was a divorce or something. She was already spruced up and ready to come in and talk to him. And, well, a healed lady. I forget her name. I'll just call her Susie Q. He said, now, Susie Q, before we talk, I know what your problem is. It's about your marriage. Now, before we have a talk, give me three verses of Scripture in the Bible about your problem. 
she put her Kleenex back in her pocket and went home. She didn't have any clue what the Bible said about her problem. It never occurred to her that she should go to God first. Now, see, the Holy Spirit, first of all, he directs your attention to what you're hearing now. The church is a teaching center. It's a Bible study group. Somebody once said, we're just turning into a Bible study. And I think we've done it. Praise God, we're making progress. We're studying the Word of God. At a moment and an hour, we pray as anointed. And God is giving us an opportunity to learn. And some of the things he says to us, we don't get it. I don't know about that. And the Spirit of God says, well, go home, search it out. And so it's on your mind. It's on your mind tomorrow. It's on your mind on Tuesday. It's on your mind Wednesday. And you're thinking about it. And you talk to other people about it. And then you start wrestling with it. And you find the scriptures. Well, you need another book. So you find some other kind of aid or assistance or something. And you begin to look and search. And one day... Your eyes are open because the Spirit of God, the activity of the Spirit, led you to search the Scriptures to see what it said, and He is the one who gave you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and opened your eyes to know what it meant. I can't learn you. Well, I can't for the, the rest of you. I can't. I can't learn you. All I can do is tell you what I believe. And you have to judge whether that's right or not. Don't you? And the only thing you have to judge it by is a book. I believe what I'm saying is right, but you may see it better, and therefore you may need to come to me. But all we've got is the Bible, and the Holy Spirit works on that to bring us to this place where we're the way we ought to be. Now, the problem in the church, as I've seen it the last 40 years, the problem with the Holy Spirit is how people view having the Spirit. There's this controversy that says, well, I got the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Somebody else said, well, in the Bible, it didn't work exactly like that. Salvation, the regeneration was one thing, and then you had to ask to receive the Holy Spirit as another thing. Oh, no, that's not true. You're adding to the Scripture. And boy, the battle rages. And when it came down to the matter of, of how to know, and some said, well, you speak in tongues. Oh, I, I rebuke that. I'm, we're not, no, no. Then this whole thing became a ball of controversy. And the devil's great at this. The devil is great at mixing things up to where without the word, we have only opinions. And our opinions are expressed like that. Well, that's not how I see it. Well, that's your version, but I don't see it that way. You think, well, Holy Spirit doesn't have two or three different ways. There's not a Baptist Holy Spirit and a Methodist Holy Spirit. and a, I mean, it's one Holy Spirit. In 1960s, when that movement came in the mid-60s, it was a moment in this country. And when it came, it crossed all the denominational boundaries. God didn't view any Methodist or Baptist or Lutheran, didn't view one any different than the other, or you or me any different from him. God sees his people. Now, his people may try to complicate it, but God looks at his people. And he came, you know, the Christian church of all places to pour out your spirit. He poured his spirit out in the church I was in. I'm talking about liberal. I'm talking about liberal with two capital L's at the front. I mean, liberal, liberal church. Our preacher at the time, Brother Bartlett, I heard some of the other men saying because he was somewhat conservative, 
And some said, you know, he preaches like a Baptist. I didn't know much about that either. But what they were saying was he's too literal. Listen, if it had not been for him preaching that way, I probably wouldn't have gotten saved. Because I remember that one morning he preached about hell. That's not exactly a comfortable subject. Nobody jumps up and down and takes off running over a subject of hell. But when you're as convicted as I was getting to be in those days, and the subject of hell came up and prefaced with the words like, the end of every man's life comes. It is appointed unto all of us one day to die. We cannot escape that. You cannot ignore that and try to confess yourself out of that. It's going to happen. Now, any man that approaches the end of his life without regard for what he will do when that end comes, if he doesn't make any preparation for that, he's a fool because the alternative to heaven is hell. And he made a little bit of description of hell. I remember pieces and parts of that, and I remember sitting there, I mean, almost like a cold sweat popped out because I knew if I died right that moment, That's what I had. By a gracious and fair God, that was my lot because the choices I made were not the choices he wanted me to make. And he was right in saying, well, if you don't want to go this way, hell is prepared for people like you. God didn't say, I'm delighting you going to hell. He just said, choose you this day. That's what he said, isn't it? It's got to be like that. And so I do believe in election. I am a teeny-weeny Calvinist, but anyway, I believe that God will put in a man's heart not only to be broken-hearted, convicted, but to receive godly sorrow and to turn from his sins and repent. And when that happened, I remember that morning before I was going to school one morning, I always got up too early to go to school. When I was teaching school, I'd get up at 6 or 6.30, That has never, ever in my lifetime been a decent hour to get up. (laughs) Because we'd sit up every night talking about the Lord somewhere. You know, got these bags on the eyes. I go to the bathroom the next morning. Where is it? And forget to turn the coal on, just turn the hot on. And and reach down to get some shave and it's all steam. And, you know, not being saved, you know, you you describe water in less than worthy terms. And, And then that sermon came back. A sermon about hell. And I remember thinking, couldn't get away from it. You are so ignorant, Hamilton. You are choosing to deny the Lord in order to live your way, knowing that when you die living your way, this is what you're going to get. You are so afraid to live right because you're afraid you're going to lose something. You're not going to be popular. You might not get to coach anymore. You might not. You might not. And if you become a you're just afraid of the change that God will take in your life. And you don't want that. People will talk about you, and they do. And so you think that you can kind of go to church on Sunday and play the bars during the week and drink a little bit with your buddies and cuss all the time. You think you can play both sides and maybe you'll do more good than bad and in the end, maybe God will take you to heaven. You know why you think like that? Because you don't know the word. And the reason you don't know the word is because it's not taught. You listen to sermons every week, but you never get taught. You're never challenged. The word never becomes pointed because if the word gets pointed, people become unhappy. And when people become unhappy, they're not comfortable. If you've got people in your church who are not happy and uncomfortable, they won't come back. 
And the loan on the building is $2 million, and you've got to come back. So we leave controversy alone and try to make everybody happy and give. Because that's the kind of rut we got ourselves into, trying to make ourselves out to be something that we're not. None of that was of God. None of it. It's what the Holy Spirit would try to lead us away from. Look at this church up here. Out on the corner. Been here all these years. Been in this building for 20 years. They've been renting this nasty looking little old cathedral of yesterday all these years. Why don't they just build them a building? We went through all this in a meeting once, but for reasons that to me I think would violate our conscience about how a Christian should live in relation to God and the things of this world. We're not against the building. In fact, y'all keep praying. I got a bird dog that's kind of pointing in a there's a covey. We're looking at something, okay? But back to the hell thing, I couldn't get away from it. I sit there in church, and, you know, no matter how good the sermon might have been, or I'm going to hell. I'm going to die. I'm going to perish. I am assigning myself a place in hell because I don't want to be persecuted in this life. I don't want people to dislike me. I am so insecure. I am so divorced and alienated from God, I have no clue to his power to not only change me and change my affections towards him so that I don't have these fears anymore. I just, I guess I'm, you know, going to hell. But I sure didn't want to. But that's the work of the Spirit. That's how he does things. Your faith may be in a low ebb today about something, you know, it's never going to work and never has worked. Who's it ever worked for? And yet, in the message, a word might be spoken, what I just said. And the Holy Spirit directs that simple word to your heart. Do you hear what he just said? Do you have no problem and no condition in your life or your body that God cannot fix? There's nothing. Well, I've never seen it. doesn't matter if you've ever seen anything before. Your eyes are, are so blurred you haven't seen much of anything. But God can do it. Just hold fast. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He leads you in a direction that other people won't go. Well, that's not going to make any sense. He doesn't direct us according to logic and reason, but according to his word. This is the way. Walk ye this way. Nothing is too hard for God. Ask what you will, and it shall be done. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. Above all that you ask or think, according to the power that is at work in you. What is that power? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, you begin this new being reprocessed, I guess. God begins to reform your thinking and your ways and new ways and new things come in. You begin to taste of the good word of God. It's good. And of the powers of the air, like in Hebrews talks about, you begin to partake of heavenly things. This is why your life becomes richer, because of the work of the Spirit. And yet, at the risk of being, again, controversial, I've been like that since I was coaching basketball, I guess. There are churches that are full of people that have never received the Holy Spirit. They've only been told you have it without even knowing it. 
And so that's not even an issue. They don't search to verify. They don't search to make sure. They don't check themselves out in the mirror of this word to see if my life experience lines up with what God said. They just don't, they just don't have it. Let me give you two or three things. When did he come? When did the Holy Spirit actually come? I mean, didn't the Old Testament speak about several men in the book of Judges who were filled with the Spirit? Samson was filled with the Spirit and did something. Bezaliel, the architect of all the instruments in the tabernacle, the Bible said he was filled with the Spirit. And yet, would you turn to John 7? And yet in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39, on that great day of the feast, it starts out something like that, doesn't it? Jesus cried out and said, All you who are thirst, come unto me. Now, the 39th verse, but, think of this in light of what I just said, but this spake he of the Spirit who was not yet given. Why? Because he was not yet glorified. Let me ask you a question. When was Jesus glorified? Up from the grave he arose like a mighty He arose a victor from the vast domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. That was Easter song. I was in the choir. The words are good words. Up from the grave he arose. And the Bible said he went to the Father. He told Mary once, he said, don't touch me. Remember that at the tomb? Do not touch me. It's like on the priest on the great day of atonement. He was not to be defiled, but touched by anybody. He was cleansed, went through the ritual cleansing, was not to be touched until he had offered the sacrifice. And our high priest arose and he said, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father, to my God and your God. But when he came back, what did he say? Handle me. Look, this place, I'm he, look here. And they could touch him. He had physical substance, but he could walk through a wall. He had physical substance, but he could disappear. Anyway, that's another wonderful study. But this business about John 39, he said, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because he was not yet glorified. Now turn to John 20. We didn't use this last week, but John chapter 20 and verse 22. Now when he was glorified, he did come back. He did not come back to masses of people. He didn't come back to all those people he spoke to. He came back to specifically his own whom the Father had given him. And in John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he did what? said he breathed on them, and what did he say? I hope you're thanking people, because now we're studying. He said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what I think happened? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on anybody. It hadn't. The day of Pentecost is when it happened. So what's going on here? He comes back in the upper room in his glorified state. 
He is, appears as he always appeared, but he was different. And he came into his disciples and said, Peace be unto you. And the Bible said, I don't know how he did it or how he arranged them, but he breathed on each one of them. However he did it. What's the significance of that? If that was not the outpouring or the outflow of the Holy Spirit on these disciples, because he tells them in Luke 24 and Acts 1, told these same men, you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you, which saith he, you heard of me. Now, I told myself I wasn't going to do any teaching on the Holy Spirit because we're after how the Spirit secures you, not the theological study of it. But just because I'm already here and it was planned. I believe the same thing happened to his disciples. You do what you want to with it. This is an opinion. I believe that what Jesus did to his disciples is the same thing that happened to Adam. Adam, when he was made and formed in the image of God, God breathed into him and he became alive. Now, Adam, the first Adam, was a living being. The second Adam, how many of you know there's a second Adam? It's Christ. And Christ breathed unto them, and he said literally in the Greek, receive breath holy. I think they were his then, because right after that, the Bible says, then he opened their understanding. What an amazing time in life. He opened their understanding. Everything from this point on will forever change. For these men, they'll never be the same. And then after he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit, then he said, like again in Luke 24, he said, now you who are my disciples, after this event, right after this, he said, now you go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem. You all go there until I send my promise of my Father upon you. Now we go to Acts 1. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days now. Now, there's two different things happened here. I hope you can understand that because they're not the same thing. And we have to make a distinction. It's for us to learn what the difference between these two experiences were. One, he breathed on them divine breath. And then secondly, he says, now, you stay here. Stay here in Jerusalem until I send. I'm going up there. You're going to watch me go up. Remember that? And when I'm up there, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Let me tell you something. Regeneration makes you a child of God. Gives you the authority. Being born again gives you the authority to be God's child. The baptism in the Holy Spirit gives you power to make that authority effective. Without it, you're limited. Very limited. Didn't say you were lost. Didn't say you couldn't make. I just said you're very limited. Because Jesus himself said, i got a lot more to say, but you can't handle it. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit coming for this to happen. Now, if you can't receive that, then what, it ain't going to happen. You're going to be just a shallow individual the rest of your life. Nice person, but you're never going to grow. That's the work of the Spirit, to lead, guide, elevate, bring, show, reveal. 
Controversial? It's supposed to be. Not everybody's going to cooperate here. Not everybody wants this. And again, he said in verse 4, he said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, when he comes, you're not going to sit in a dead pan seat the rest of your life. You're going to receive dynamite, dunamis. You're going to receive power. The word power means the, the ability to overcome resistance. And you're going to face resistance the rest of your life. And the reason you won't fall or fall apart is because of the power that God gave you. Even in the last days, only he that now preventeth doth prevent this Antichrist from taking over. Only he that keeps that from happening keeps it from happening until he is taken out of the way. When he is taken out of the way, then there's nobody to resist the devil anymore. And the world lies in darkness like it's never been known. Death permeates the whole world. Men run to and fro. They search for this. They search for that. They can't find anything. They realize now that death has come. The earth is under the throes and the woes of Satan. There's a famine in the land. They're searching for the word of God. And a lot of them that find it realize they have ears that, that they can't understand it. Because you one time you said, I don't want all of that. And God closed your ears. Can he do that? What a horrible, horrible thought. So the Holy Spirit, folks, when he comes, he comes with power. Now, how did he come? Go to Acts 2 real quickly. Acts chapter 2. This is when he came. He said, stay until he comes. Now, how are we going to know when he comes? Oh, you'll know. You'll know. And every generation after you will know. They won't accept it, but they'll know about it. And on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one accord. I like that. They were all debating over, no, they were all in one accord in one place. Unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And the Bible said that, is what describes this. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now that, my friends, forever has been a controversy. It's not that your life is more vibrant, more enthusiastic, that you have a better smile on your face or you care more about people than you ever did and you're growing and you're living convicted about things. People don't necessarily appreciate that. Tongues. Like all we do when we come together, just say, like that's all we do. My mother said, oh, child, told me, oh, Thomas, you stay away from them people. She was at the camp meeting the sawdust floor, and a woman got to yelling and carrying on, nearly dropped her baby. Oh, you're going to drop your baby? She said, oh, if I drop my baby, I'll get another. But if I lose my soul, I'm gone forever. Woo-wee! That type of thing. That was my mother's introduction to all this. And you can only imagine the kind of picture my mother put in my mind. And I'm thinking, Lord, deliver me from that crazy stuff. Because I agree with you, a lot of that stuff is crazy. A lot of that stuff is totally out of bounds. A lot of that is nothing but we used to call it wildfire. Emotion without the spirit. They like to feel something. 
feel something. Well, I'm glad you do feel something. Do you know anything? If they feel beyond this word, because they don't know the word, maybe. I don't know. This day of Pentecost came, and and in chapter 2, it says in verse 16 and 17, they thought, well, these people are drunk. Peter said, they're not drunk. It's only it's midday. They must have been acting very strange. And I think that's what bothers people today. This picture that if you do this, if this tongues thing comes into your life, you'll really get beside yourself. And you know, I've seen that too. I could tell you stories that might you might get them leave for sure, but this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet, he said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on your servants. Everybody, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In my lifetime, I cannot define a particular day or time, but in my lifetime, this began to happen in the mid to late 60s. After this pouring out of the Spirit happened, I remember, and remember this well, it was when God began to raise up teachers. Men who methodically taught the Bible. They were not very flashy. They were not emotional at all. You know, in the middle part of last century, after Azusa Street outpouring in the 1904, and then all these healing campaigns, remember all the great tent meetings and the Or Roberts and the Ritchie and Kuhlman even later on and, and many others. I mean, people were being healed in this country by the multitudes. Crutches hanging on the wall, wheelchairs were gone, and then people were getting to see again, and, and people were thronging to churches. And then there came the 60s, and God began to say, now that I've got your attention, I want to teach you what the Word says. And some of those people, some of those people got it. They realized that the truth that I need is the truth I'm hearing. And they followed. They bought books and tapes and pencils and paper and took notes and studied and formed little Bible studies. And these meetings kept on from the mid-60s to probably 1980, 81, in there, 82. And then people got tired of learning. A few mistakes were made and people left off of that. But one thing prominent, folks, in all of this, in those days, one thing that was prominent was that when God poured out his spirit, they spoke in tongues. They didn't make the big issue out of it. They didn't go around demanding this or making crazy statements. They just had this experience. I did, and people that I was with did. Our lives so changed that a man named J.E. Hayes, came up to me one Sunday after church. He says, I want to know what you all got. What's going on? What are you talking about? I knew what he was saying. He said, what are you all getting together and laughing and carrying on all the time? I said, well, you want to know? He said, yeah. I said, we've been filled with the Spirit. What's that? Good. Be here Thursday night. We're going over to Evangel Tabernacle in Louisville. We'll get Brother Rogers and some of his Pentecostal boys to pray for you, and then you'll know what we're talking about. We don't know how to do that. I, could, I wouldn't know how to do that. But we'd take them over there and say, guy in a green shirt. You know. 
sure enough, after church is over, they pray for them, and we go home happy like a bunch of high school kids. That was my experience. I don't know where things would have gone in my life through the years if that hadn't have happened. In closing, Acts chapter 10, God gives us just enough of this to let us know there's no controversy here. There's nothing to argue about. When Peter was in the house of Cornelius, remember that in Acts 10? The first Gentile. And Peter went to his house. In verse 44, he began to speak to the Gentiles. And said, you know, I know that now I realize that God's no respecter of persons. That he's offering you what he offered us, his Jews. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. But see, the word was there first. You see that? All them that heard the word and the Jewish people which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. It was not a big deal. It was not a controversial, oh, it was nothing like that. It just the way it was. That's the way it works. How else would you know? Well, I shivered all over. Well, that doesn't. You could shiver because you're cold. I mean, you could have a lot of physical experiences and not have this. But this is what he said. This is how you know. We call it the evidence. This is the way it works. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, we will next time. I'm not going to preach anymore about the Holy Spirit, but I want to tell you this. Concerning your security... What the Holy Spirit does, several things the Bible mentions that he does specifically that make you secure. But the one we'll begin with is that he seals you. And this whole experience is how you can know that you've been sealed by God and reserved until his coming. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus for a spirit of truth to prevail in our hearts and minds, amongst us, in our meetings. We pray that we would see it your way, understand it as you give it, that we would not quench the spirit or frustrate the spirit. I pray that we would be receptive to your word and whatever you're saying so that As we go through this study, our eyes will be fully opened and we can see that we are engraved on the palms of your hands and you can never forget us. And we can know that when the trumpet does sound and that as the song said, time shall be no more, we shall be caught up to meet Jesus, be with him and come back with him. There's people sitting before me this morning, Heavenly Father, that I don't know their hearts. You do. There's nothing hidden in this room from you. Nothing. People listening out in the live streaming. Every thought is known by you. Every detail is known. We can hide nothing. I pray that you would bring us to the place of honesty and conviction. And we would lay bare our hearts and lives before you so that We undo ourselves of flesh and self 
and permit the Holy Spirit to have his way in forming Christ in us. Find us that way when you come. Heavenly Father, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. And I am not hard to Thank you.